Uh, hi, I'm Mike Small from the Fife Diet Project. So recently, uh, Jay Rayner wrote an article in The Guardian where he used a report from 2006, as if it was just come out yesterday, to say that eating lamb and apples from New Zealand had a lower carbon footprint uh, than, uh, than the same produce from the UK, and that therefore the whole concept of food miles was now rather irrelevant. Um, you wrote a piece uh, about that as a sort of, I think you called it a sort of, uh, a kind of a, a quick a quick reaction or something uh, now that you've had a, a, a few weeks to sort of digest it what are your thoughts on, on the arguments that he put forward in that piece? I think he's been going back considerably since then I mean the actual piece he said this is the nail in the, the final nail in the coffin of localism um, and uh, these people need to be told it was all very bombastic and I think you know he was trying to sell a book but um, it doesn't really stand up to any critical analysis and in a sense I'm not so much worried about the actual specific report because I think you can or can't prove that this or that good may be um, have a carbon saving uh, I think the report was flawed but I think that the fundamental premise of what he was trying to do was, was wrong because the task as we all know is to drastically reduce carbon not to take two very high emitting uh, sectors and say, oh, look, one's marginally better than the other, which was essentially what he was doing. Um, so it seems to me that he, he, he lives in a kind of rarefied atmosphere that's about television and fine dining, and um, he's not really engaged with the political task, um, which is about uh, the, the transition to just Mike, could you just get a bit closer to the microphone? You sort of come sure. and go a little bit, and you're a bit quiet. Okay, okay. that's that better. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, that's great. Uh, do you want me to say that again? No, no, that was good. Yeah, that was fine. Yes. Uh, do you want me to go on? Yeah, do. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think that uh, the, the arguments for localism, as we know, aren't really just about carbon savings. They're about reshifting our economy uh, into a circular economy, building resilience, uh, creating uh, local cultures. And so I just sort of thought it was a massive uh, missed opportunity. And I think people like uh, Jay have uh, some kind of responsibility because they have such a high media profile. And uh, I suppose I think he just missed that and it was, it was kind of irresponsible. And um it seemed extraordinary the argument that the UK, which has a history of growing three thousand, three or four thousand different varieties of apples, where apples are so sort of interlinked with our culture and our history, that we would that 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 it would be a lower carbon solution to import them all from New Zealand. Yeah, it's extraordinary, I and mean, it goes against any kind of common sense. And uh, I think he was he was quite odd about shipping as well. He was saying, you know, these aren't flown; these are shipped. And if you look at the emissions from ships, they're extraordinary. Um, transportation by ship produces a billion metric tons of CO2 emissions and uses 11 billion gallons of fuel every year internationally. So it's not some kind of benign uh, uh, mode of transport. And you've been doing an experiment uh, in Fife for how long now? For five years. For five years. And you've just published a report which is a sort of 
summing up of, 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 the, of the experiment so far and your achievements so far. Could you give us a sense of, um, a sense of what you've, what's in there, what you feel you've, yeah. you've discovered? Yeah, well, I mean, it's specifically our carbon uh, accounting. And, um, we ask people to, to take kind of six pledges because uh, one thing Jay is right about is that localism itself is not um, So to create a more sustainable food systems, uh, there's six things that we ask people to do. It's to eat more organic, to eat less meat and different meat, to compost, to waste less, to eat more locally, and to grow smaller food. And uh, we then take analysis of those pledges and uh, do some carbon uh, analysis of it. So surveyed our members and monitored behaviour change since they joined us and in 2012-13 uh, the Fife Diet achieved a total savings of 990,000 tonnes of CO2 emissions uh, reduced. So that's quite a significant saving and uh, our report published shows we could make some really significant steps just by rethinking the way we do food, uh, creating a sustainable carbon agriculture. It's something that we can all be part of. You some problems out there that you need an external agency to help you with um, and food is the one that we can, we can be part of a restorative culture so it's quite exciting for us so the the the, the g8 uh, are meeting this week <clears throat> if if you were able to uh, get in front of the g8 uh, and um, ask them to to do something to support this move, you know. Now you've, you know, you you have a kind of an evidence base, if you like, that actually uh, the the this, uh, a substantial amount of the carbon savings that we need can actually come from changing the way we, we look at food. And and I think you know some certainly the the, the economic blueprint for Totnes and the one for, for for Herefordshire are really starting to make the case that uh, that. If we're talking about helping local economies to become, to, to grow, uh, and to stimulate new enterprise and, and entrepreneurship, actually this is a shift that, that does that too. And uh, there's a real kind of evidence base emerging for that too, of course, yeah. not just through the blueprints, but in other places. What, you know, obviously there's an enormous amount that we can do with our communities, with our neighbours, and you know, exemplary projects like yours in terms of nudging that shift at the local level what what would what would a top-down support for what you're doing look like do you think it's a really interesting question isn't it? I mean, uh, because i think we're often focused on, on grassroots um, uh, action and it's about facilitating change so and you've gone very quiet again mike sorry uh can you hear me now yeah that's better yeah um uh it is a, a good question i mean a part of this is a cultural shift part of it is about uh, international law and uh, structures. Um, I was getting a lift to football the other day and uh, uh, the people in the car were talking about how um, they used frequent flyer miles, uh, which is relevant in terms of your recent discussions. Um, and I realised that this was not just status, uh, but it was actively encouraged. It was kind of hard, hardwired into the system. You know, the more you flew was good. It was uh, something you should aspire to and something you got rewarded for. So some ways that we can embed into our culture the opposite of that. So we have infrequent flyers um, and, and the same in our, in our food systems. So if you look at in Denmark, for example, their taxation laws benefit organics 
so that uh, uh, high high polluting, high carbon costing food systems are now taxed different level so that they've flipped the idea of uh, organic being more expensive than non-organic. You know, why should you have to go to a specialist shop to buy healthy food or organic shop, organic food? It's kind of ridiculous. Um, so those are some things that you can do at a national level. And I think there's also things that you can do about changing the food infrastructure so that uh, some of our kit, like um, mills or abattoirs or dairies, are on various scales, not as a present more and more towards uh, bigger and bigger, uh, which has an impact rightly down the line. Do you think, um, I, I, I interviewed Joanna Blythman a little while ago, who, who's a patron of the Fife Diet, as I, so, I think, yeah. uh, and we had a conversation about, you know, if, if, if we want to achieve that, uh, that kind of push, that 80-20 push that the Fife Diet uh, advocates, yeah. and if we want to try and, uh, you know, to to begin with, as a as a community achiever, that ten percent push in terms of local businesses and and so on and so on, do supermarkets have a role to play in that? Uh, is your sense that we need to be building a, a, a parallel economy which is completely independent of supermarkets, or could an enlightened supermarket have a role to play in this? Um. No, I don't think they do have a role to play, really, and I don't think we're going to switch around from the 97% domination of retail that they have to nothing. Uh, but we do need to stop their further monopoly uh, in other sectors. Uh, and in our food manifesto, we argue for uh, a moratorium on supermarkets, uh, and, and they have to make the case. Because I think what happens is, as economic times get more desperate, People just flail about. So if, if a supermarket says, I'm going to open somewhere, everybody supports it. That's fantastic. We don't think about the consequences for local, the local economy. And these are organisations that are built around uh, low skills, poor pay, part-time, temporary work. Uh, uh, I was told that recently, uh, now uh, Asda are operating stores without any checkout people at all. Um, so the idea for jobs, even though they are temporary and low-paid, is now less there. Mm. So, but I think that what we've proved is that there's a real appetite for change and people want to be part of a community of change. But you can't just pull the, the rug out when people have become quite dependent on these systems. So absolutely we need to create a parallel for people to go towards. Um, and I think that's what we can do and what we need to do increasingly. But it needs to be based on real food. It doesn't need to be based on kind of niche food. It has to be your basic food at affordable cost. And how, I mean, that's always, I suppose, one of the, one of the criticisms that's leveled at the local food kind of world. Uh, I remember going to this, you may have been there, one of the Soil Association conferences where a guy from uh, Safeway or one of the supermarkets stood up and said, I can feed a single mother on an estate in Middlesbrough for £40 a week. I, no, none of you lot can. And, and uh, you know, of course, there's all the arguments that, well, you're more likely to end up with more single mothers on £40 a week if supermarkets take over a, a community. Uh, and there's plenty of evidence based to support that now. But how do you get around that middle class food, food middle, local foods for people who can afford it kind of accusation? 
Well, I think we need kind of deeper analysis of what's going on because um, that's just not the case. I mean, I, th I think if you look at the whole allotment tradition, the allotment tradition comes out of a working class culture. It doesn't come out of uh, Hugh Friendly Whittingstall culture. Um, so, so that that whole thriving and, and re reviving um, tradition is, is certainly rooted elsewhere. But I think that also, um, if you think about processed food, because the issue is really about processed food, um, that is where you make profit. And uh, if we can um, join the dots between our uh, problems in, in health, uh, our health epidemic, um, and local food, then we can make some inroads here. So, for example, if you grow some simple produce, uh, like potato and leek soup, there's no profit in that. But it's very cheap. It's going to grow in our climate, and it's and it makes food available. So, um, I think we need to look at that. I think we also need to look at the kind of cons that are happening uh, psychologically when people enter supermarkets, because although they can provide lots of cheap processed food, they also con people into buying lots of other food and other items that they don't need. So that's why you get the uh, horrendous situation with food waste that, as we discovered this earlier this year runs at about 50% in our system. Um, and uh, do, you, do you get a sense that it feels like at the moment that in the enormous government-led push for growth that, that all the pressure is on how do we grow the 97%, not how do we grow the 3%? And clearly the 97% funds political parties, lobbies very hard, yeah. uh, has has extremely good lawyers and planning consultants and so on and so on. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's, you know, thing, things like the Fife Diet. I mean, how, how what, in your sense, would a, would a more a, a joined up strategic shoulders to the wall push to sort of start pushing that 3% back to 4%, 10%. I noticed that the, the Telegraph had a really good article uh, in the other day and they seem to have launched a campaign about protecting high streets uh, and boosting that kind of economy. Do you have, what's your sense of what that push would look like scaled up? Well, I think that um, it is difficult to be intimidated, it's difficult not to be intimidated by the dominance in retail, but at the same time, they are quite fragile. You know, they're reliant on systems that are very close to the margin. So as we saw when there was a really harsh winter a few years ago, um, the, all the major supermarkets just stopped delivering to Scotland. They just drew a line across <laughs> the country and said, we're just not going to go there anymore. People we were like, what, well, what, to Edinburgh? They're like, yeah, well, we can't go to Scotland at all. And it's because they have this next day delivery system, as you know, and um, the um, New Economics Foundation uh, printed that document a few years ago, um, Nine Days to Anarchy, when the, the oil supply was threatened. You know, the whole system ground to a halt. So mm -hmm. I think we need to be clear about how it is very dominant, but it's also based on some very dodgy structures. And really what we're building across the country, it's not just in Fife, it's across Scotland, um, uh, and across the UK is is a much more uh, solid, resilient, nuanced uh, movement uh, that has people really kind of regaining some kind of sense of food sovereignty. So I think we need to, to strengthen that, to unite that network and allow that network to learn from each other. So it's a kind of critical culture because there's some real lessons that could be learned, that could be shared. And I think um, 
we're certainly going to do that with our carbon report and hope to tap into what uh, some of the things that are happening in Herefordshire and elsewhere to kind of make the case for the economic argument. Because we find that when we're engaging people, uh, they want to hear both of those arguments. You know, one on their own isn't going to do it. So um, I think that we're be becoming a mass movement, and I think that's key. And um, I have my question. I just forgot my question. Um, oh yeah, um, there's a lot of uh, in many parts of the country. Uh, food banks seem to be uh, becoming more and more of a uh, a fact of life as yeah. as the austerity cuts really start to hit people. Um, but it seems like food banks basically sort of provide people with sort of food that just about keeps them going, but it's pretty sort of shit, just a crap out of tins kind of survival food. Have yeah. you done much in the, in, in the Five Diet in terms of linking what you do up with, with, with food banks? You know, is, is, is there a way that we could link food banks with Five Diet slash Incredible Edible slash Transition yeah. kind of stuff? And do you have a sense of what that might look like? Well, uh, I mean, I think that they're they're really unhelpful. I mean, they're they're essential because of the uh, coalition uh, effects to benefit, and you can really sort of chart that as the benefits kick in, and the benefit changes. Some people are really in desperate uh, situations, so um, but they are very disempowering, and I think they feed into a kind of narrative about the poor that the the right wing has been developing for over a decade. That you know, kind of helpless, feckless, useless. Uh, mm. Poor, and uh, so you know this act of charity uh, feeds into that whole uh, narrative. I think instead there's a, a project in Edinburgh uh, in the grass market um, that used to work with. Uh, it's a church project that used to work as a old-fashioned soup kitchen, and they've transformed in the last uh, few years how they do that, so that now um, the people who are often homeless people, uh, people who are destitute. Um, have instead t run this project and they learn how to cook and grow and uh, cater for people. They set up their own social enterprise to do catering now. And they've really transformed the soup kitchen from one of um, a kind of powerless top-down handout to a much more empowering uh, system of change. And if we could do that with food banks, that would be really interesting. You know, so um, it is at all levels about claiming sovereignty and food sovereignty and, and reclaiming sovereignty. Some authority. So, I, lastly, I suppose, what, what, what's next for the Five Diet? You've you've been at this for five years. What's what does the next five years uh, include? Well, uh, we are um, lo launching a, a project called Blaster. Blaster's Gaelic for taste, uh, and will be a food festival across Scotland. It'll be happening this September, and it'll be launching in the island of Col on the west coast, and we're having dozens of local food celebrations uh, right across the month. So that's really exciting for us. And uh, we were also uh, operating our seed truck, which goes up and down the country, uh, helping people learn to uh, grow their own food in community projects and schools. So those are two national projects for us, which are really exciting. And uh, yeah, we look forward to that. And um, uh, yeah, so I think that is about connecting the network and not just working in isolation. Um, and I think that's really important. And people need to get the time to kind of look up from their own work and uh, connect with.